Welcome to Scrappy ABM, your source for groundbreaking approaches that don't break the bank. ABM shouldn't cost 200K in tech to even get started. So if you want to get started with ABM or make your program even better without investing a massive amount of money, you're in the right place. Each week, we'll hear from the brightest minds in the marketing world who are redefining ABM, achieving incredible results with untraditional methods, limited resources, and a whole lot of creativity. This isn't a show about how much money you can spend on fancy tech or overhyped tools. Instead, it's about celebrating creative problem solving and the scrappiness it takes to get ABM right. We'll dive into how these marketing leaders built robust ABM strategies with limited resources, revealing the actionable insights that led to their biggest wins. So if you're a marketer ready to challenge the status quo and build a scalable, efficient, effective marketing strategy, Scrappy ABM is the show for you. So if you're ready to discover ABM strategies that are lean, impactful, and utterly transformative, let's dive into this episode. Hello and welcome to the first step to ABM is activation. Uh, in today's session, we're going to be talking through how to take that first step of ABM so that it won't fail. Uh, I'm incredibly excited that you're here. I hope that you get a ton out of this. And the goal of your session today is actually to learn how to take that first step using the existing tools that you have today, using the existing data, so you can start to see some pretty immediate impact. Um, really, the high-level overview for our conversation today is going to be addressing why ABM fails, uh, what you should do instead of what a lot of people do uh, when they think about launching an ABM program, how to build an activation play, how once you've built that activation play, you can build into an account-based marketing program. And again, the goal is that by the end of our session today, you've actually got some clear, tangible steps on how you can get started. Uh, my name is Mason Cosby. I am the founder of a company called Scrappy ABM. We help companies build account-based programs without a $200,000 tech stack. And we do that through activation plans. I'm going to walk you through exactly what that means today. We're then move into building account-based pilot programs that are more comprehensive in their scope. And then lastly, we help companies build podcasts that actually drive tangible revenue through both sponsorships and through uh, engaging with your target accounts. If you want more information, go check out scrappyabm.com or go check out the Scrappy ABM podcast where we pretty much outline all the playbooks that we use with clients to help them find success. So why does ABM fail? Uh, there's really three core reasons that ABM fails. And some of these are as old as a tale of time. I won't spend too much time on these and we, we can move on to kind of how to solve for these things. But I think it is helpful to understand that the, the core three reasons are one, a lack of sales and marketing alignment. Everyone and their mothers talked about this, but it's still important and we still don't fix it. So how do we solve for that? Two, nobody owns ABM. And I'll outline what I mean by nobody owns ABM here in just a moment. And the last leave too much complexity as it is. So if you've thought about building an account-based marketing program, I can almost guarantee that you've run into one, if not all three of these problems. And this is the classic story that every organization runs into. Uh, when they think about starting ABM, they, uh, typically marketing will come up with the idea of like, we should do account-based marketing. And They'll go build out the three-month strategy by themselves in a silo, and then they'll go to sales and say, sales, we built this really cool program. We should work together on it. And sales is like, I have a full-time job. What is this? So marketing comes by immediately throwing new responsibilities at sales, and sales isn't interested because they're not bought in. They don't understand what it is. Uh, the other thing is sometimes marketing leadership will come to a marketing manager and say, you should run ABM. You should do ABM. So we just like tack ABM on as somebody's new responsibility, and that's set up for failure. And the other thing that we often do is we go and buy this new shiny tech stack and that's how we're going to run ABM. But again, if we think back to why it fails, lack of alignment, I mean, truly owns ABM and you already have too much complexity as it is. By doing these things, 
One, by just throwing new responsibilities to sales without getting their buy on the front end, you've actually further um, impacted your misalignment with sales. So that's the problem. Two, when you just pass it to a marketing manager, ABM at its score is actually pretty significant organizational change. You go from siloed departments into uh, people often reference this concept of the one revenue team where it's marketing sales working together. We've also heard it said that instead of it being a relay race where marketing nurtures the lead and then passes it off to sales, that it's more of a soccer game where you're kicking the, the ball around and trying to inevitably get into a goal. So again, when you just pass it to a single marketing manager, they don't have the actual ability to foster organizational change. So really ABM should be owned at least with executive sponsorship at a much higher level than just passing on to a marketing manager to say, hey, figure it out. And then lastly, again, everybody has a full-time job and their jobs are generally speaking pretty complex. So when we add in new technology, we're setting ourselves up to fail because we have to learn new tools, integrate these new tools, understand how that works within the existing ecosystem that we have set up versus maybe starting with what we have today. So again, I just outlined a lot of this, but the core is it doesn't work. Uh, sales not bought in. Everybody already has a full-time job. Nobody has time to do ABM. So it just kind of falls to the wayside. And by the time we actually figure out how to use the technology, and this is not a, this is not a made up story. I've, I've actually had this conversation about 15 times in the past three weeks of people that bought ABM technology on a year long contract. They spent six to nine months getting it set up. They launched a program. It didn't prove value because they only were actually running ABM using their technology for six to nine months or sorry, for actually three to six months, and because it took six to nine months to get it set up, at which point when the contract expires, the executive team says, what value does this deliver after we've been running it for 12 months, when in reality, they've only been running it for three. ABM team says, nothing. And client turns almost immediately. So again, when you start with not actually identifying the reasons that it would fail in the first place, and you try to jump full into building an ABM program the way that it's often marketed to do, which is expensive technology, this massive, robust program, and just kind of this overnight switch, it's not going to work. And this is all why ABM fails. So if that resonates or you've tried in the past and those are the reasons it fails, the rest of our conversation today is actually going to be focused on how you can solve for that and actually build a better ABM program moving forward. And at its core, I just highly, 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 highly recommend keeping it very, very simple. Um, you can likely build an ABM program using your existing technology. You can likely use an ABM program using your existing data. And you can likely build an ABM program by focusing very, very small and focusing first on building out some specific plays that lend themselves towards being built into an account-based program, which is why I believe that if you're looking to launch ABM, you should actually start with what is an activation play. So what is an activation play? It's a trigger-based playbook that tells your sales teams who to prioritize. So this is not an MQL model, but this is a trigger that is based on a very specific action that would show that a potential customer has some level of intent. So some quick examples, uh, a meeting was scheduled, but has not been held. So again, I call it the missed meeting playbook. It's very simple. Somebody scheduled a meeting, they were an ICP fit, they missed the meeting, they never rescheduled the meeting. Our sales team has already gone after them. But as we look back at a trailing three months, how many meetings have been missed that were never held, that were never rescheduled? Clear opportunity to re-engage re those accounts. Uh, ICP fit has hit numerous product pages and the pricing page. 
they're looking at all of our product pages. They've hit the pricing page. They still haven't converted. If they've watched like a, like I, I know that there's a ton of these uh, ungated demo platforms out there between Walnut and Toriel and Nevada. Like if they've gone through an entire demo experience and viewed the pricing page and they still haven't booked, it's probably a good idea to maybe try to reach out to them and see if we can answer any questions they may be experiencing. Uh, and then I, I love for the activation side to really look at what are the existing products that we have what have they bought thus far and how do we expand that customer based on complementary products or, and I'll give this example here in a, in a moment, but if you've got a B2C side of your business and a B2B side of your business, if somebody has bought on the B2C side of the business using a business account, is there an opportunity to actually bring them into the larger service lines that B2B offers? So again, looking at what products have they bought previously, how do we activate based off of that data to then bring them into a different product? Again, why would you start with an activation play? Um, I'm not going to read every single word. Uh, if you want the full deck, feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or email me, and I'm happy to send you the deck. But at the core, it makes sales and marketing alignment far more natural. So instead of building out this massive, massive program and saying, sales, let's do this together, and sales being like, what is this? Instead, you come with, hey, we've got a really, really clear reason to reach out. We've actually built out some templates for you to reach out with. We built out the collateral. And we've also set this up in such a way that it shouldn't take you a ton, a ton of time. It could be a mix of automated plus manual emails, maybe some, some phone outreach some social engagement. Or I've got clients that I work with that do entirely automated. I know there's lots of opinions and theories around how to best do that. But at the core, the goal here is to foster the alignment in the first place. So by providing a very clear trigger and a very clear reason for sales to reach out with the collateral that makes the most sense for them to reach out with, you actually naturally foster some sales and marketing alignment. And it's not this really complex program. It's very simply, this is why we're reaching out. This is what to reach out with. It makes it very simple. That then naturally moves into, it keeps it simple. So again, if you don't have somebody that can fully own ABM, but you've got somebody that can own outreach, which most organizations have someone that typically is owning some level of prospecting outreach. There's clear ownership. Marketing can partner with that person around the ownership of these specific outbound sequences and activation plays. And again, it helps you to get the ball rolling in the right direction. And then through this, you can typically identify your tech gaps and then actually strategically fill those gaps. So if you're using your existing first party data, then you may have some specific gaps as it relates to potentially, we only have a couple of contacts because they've filled out previous forms or we don't have the appropriate depth of information that we need. Also, we may need data enrichment oh, we don't know if they're actually viewing our website. We don't have the ability to de-anonymize our website traffic. You know, I'm gonna use something like a Warmly or a Propensity or a Signal that can help you to de-anonymize your website traffic so you can actually then better activate. Again, it's building with what you have today to then strategically identify the gaps that you're experiencing so that you can then fill in the gaps and actually get a greater time to value on the technology, proving a quicker ROI, as opposed to let me buy the technology and then figure out how to use it when you know the use case of the tech before you buy it versus saying, I need to implement ABM, let me go buy an ABM platform. You're gonna see greater value in a greater time to value. And as a result, you can better justify your budget and actually more quickly generate a return. So again, better alignment of sales. It keeps things simple to get started. And as you look to inevitably scale, you have a clear picture and vision of where you should invest in order to scale. So how do you build this? Uh, relatively simple. You first identify your sales trigger and I will provide a ton, a ton, a ton of examples at the end of what those triggers could look like. 
but I'm a huge, huge fan of using your existing first-party data to identify what is happening within our, our database that then indicates to us these people are ready for outreach. Again, prime example I've already mentioned, they've hit a ton of product pages, they've hit a pricing page, they've come back numerous times to our website. If you have a basic website in like a HubSpot marketing automation platform that's effectively integrated into your website, you can track the contacts that are visiting specific pages on your website. This is not a super robust tech stack. This is what most organizations are having and using today. Once you've identified that trigger, you then move into actually building and operationalizing the outbound sequence. So again, lots of organizations to ha today have an outreach, a sales loft. They have a HubSpot sales license that does outbound sequencing. Uh, they have Apollo for sequencing and contact enrichment. Another tool that's relatively inexpensive that I've personally used with specific clients is called smartlead.ai. You can get it for like 80 bucks a month and sequence based on that. So again, tons of ways to sequence that are very cost effective if you don't have the tools or you probably already have the tools in some capacity. So you build out an automated way within your existing tool set of how do I segment our lists so that I can then deliver a list to our sales team or to a couple of sellers if you want to pilot it with a small group of like one or two sellers so that they get a weekly or monthly list that they then know how to sequence. So again, you may like handhold the sales team through the first couple of times, but inevitably they're able to run on their own with this playbook. And once they're able to do that, you can run this week over week or month over month and continue to deliver some level of meetings on a weekly or monthly cadence that actually gives you a foundation. So to just show you how you can segment these lists, this is a client that I mentioned earlier that has a B2C and B2B motion. This is the exact filtering criteria within their HubSpot instance. So we looked at every contact that is created that has an email that does not contain a free email provider, and they are not on the unassigned list that we've already segmented out previously. If they are in those two criteria, they then hit an if-then branch because within HubSpot, if you use a company email, it will automatically create an associated primary company on the contact record. So you can create a company record. So again, at that point, we've now filtered from not just they're using a free email domain provider or not. If they're not using a free email domain provider, they're, they're opted into this workflow. From there, if there's an associated primary company, they then have a second layer of filtering criteria that then maps them to the appropriate rep based on the zip codes that are associated with their physical locations. And then the list get an automated list every single week that is updated with all the contacts that were created that is based off of this criteria. In this context, the B2C side of their business, they're an experienced company. So when somebody has booked an experience and gone through that experience, they are created in their HubSpot instance. So then the sales team is actually reaching out every single week within seven days of someone going through that experience on the B2C side of the business saying, hey, it looks like you booked this experience. Looks like your team had a great time. Would love to see if you were open to us coming in. We have a dedicated B2B side of our business that does X, Y, and Z things that are even better and more expansive specific to probably what you're looking for. Are you interested? Again, they're getting anywhere from 250 to 300 people on a weekly basis going through that sequence. And as a result, they're booking off the first email, an additional nine to 15 meetings a week on this sequence alone. So again, what this turns into is their sales team has already come back to 
myself and the marketing team and said, this is awesome. How do we do more of this? And now what we've solved for is actual sales and marketing alignment. Sales is bought in. They love this. They want to know how we do more. Which is exactly how it then leads into ABM. You can now build your account-based marketing program around your activation play. Because what you've done is you've got buy-in. You've got sales saying, this was great. I want to do more of this. And depending on the sequence that you build and the activation play that you build, this can actually function as your dedicated sales handoff. So again, you've already actually worked through list segmentation. You've already operationalized it. You've already built an outbound sequence and you've nailed the handoff with sales. So now, depending on the sequence that you build, your goal becomes two things. One, how do I drive more accounts into my trigger? So again, marketing is now going further up funnel to identify target accounts that we want to bring into our sales activation play so that we can then better engage and close target accounts. And two, we're now focused on optimizing post-trigger. So again, if we think about a sales activation play, it's often single-threaded. And to some extent, it's a bit serendipitous based on the data that we already have flowing through our systems. Whereas with this approach, we now recognize this handoff works. We want to now multi-thread these accounts. We want to create persona-specific sequences and like really get specific and personalized and nuance based on those that we're engaging within our, our triggers. So again, it can get exponentially more complex, but because we started simple, we actually didn't need somebody to own it because it was really just a single playbook. We got sales to buy in based on the early results that we were experiencing. And then three, it's a lot easier to ask for an investment when you have something that's working. And it's we're saying, instead of, hey, let's build an ABM program, we're saying we have something that's working. We would like to make this exponentially better by doubling down on our investment here. Can we work together to figure out what we need to drive more accounts into this trigger and to optimize post-trigger? It completely changes the conversation from ABM as a complete experiment into we have something that's working. How do we build an account-based program to optimize this? The other thing is ABM is an experiment, but by starting with an activation play, you actually mitigate the number of variables that you are experimenting with. Because at that point, you're using first-party data, you're using your own technology that you already have. So you know those things, generally speaking, they probably are working. What you're now experimenting with is the exact sequence messaging and the trigger and the handoff. You've now mitigated the number of variables that you're experimenting with so you can figure out why it didn't work. Because the unspoken reason that ABM works is because it's an entirely new experiment with new technology and new sequencing and new targeting. And we're starting from scratch saying, oh no, we don't know if any of this works. And then suddenly we're supposed to make it all work. When you start small, you can mitigate experiment variables, figure out what works, and then double down and add new variables on how to double down so you can effectively scale it up. Sorry, soapbox promo. From here, I want to walk through exactly what you should look for when you're thinking about the triggers. So again, some pretty basic ones. The challenge with some of these early ones are it's difficult to build an ABM program that's a truly scalable program around a closed loss, but you can use it as a starting point because every organization has closed loss deals that would be good to re-engage. So you could operationalize that in such a way that it's easier for your sales team to know who to re-engage and go after. So closed loss, misdemeaning, like I've already mentioned. Um, hopefully you don't have so many misdemeanings. You can build an entire ABM program around it but it does help from an activation perspective. Um, if you're a SaaS company, product utilization. So again, if you have product tiers, identifying how do we activate our sales team to go outbound based on a company hitting a specific uh, level of utilization. 
If you have one-time buyers, so prime example, what I just mentioned with the B2C, B2B motion. So if you've got a one-time buyer that booked a single experience and you want to upsell them into uh, a larger experience engagement or a subscription-based model, so identifying they bought once, how do we expand that relationship into a larger engagement? Um, again, product page and pricing page views. So if they're hitting a lot of these high value pages and they're not converting, activating your sales team, using, again, tools that de-anonymize website traffic. There are tons of them out there that are free that you can get started with today. That's the most simple one. This is also where the greatest value for our clients. Uh, ask sales how they're currently sourcing pipeline now. Sales is like, very responsible for revenue. Uh, I know some marketers aren't responsible for revenue. That's a whole other conversation, but sales, super responsible. It's like how they make most of their living is closing revenue. So if marketing isn't delivering great pipeline, sales is going to go and figure out how to make a new pipeline. So if you can ask your sales team, how are we currently sourcing new pipeline that you're going after? And then marketing use their tool set to better operationalize, build processes and scale the, the things that their sellers are doing right now creates a better optimized approach for sourcing new pipeline. The other thing that it does is you have a top rep that's kind of not intentionally, but again, they're focused on sourcing their own pipeline. They may not have shared the ways in which they're sourcing their pipeline with the rest of the team. But if you can pull the process out of your best rep on how they're sourcing their pipeline and then operationalize that within your HubSpot, your Salesforce, um, or whatever CRM you're using in such a way that you can then train the rest of your sales team on how to use that process, and you've created consistency, you can then start to optimize that process over time based on actual data. You've now created a way in which you can scale the work of your best rep. Now, granted, your best rep is probably going to be your best rep, but you've taken it out of just their brain and created it in such a way that it can be replicated. And in the event that they got hit by a bus or won the lottery, either way, they're not going to work tomorrow. You didn't lose the process of that best rep. So again, TLDR, look at your existing data flow understand how people are entering to your systems and where they are likely to consider your products. It sounds very basic. It's going to take some digging, but if you can figure that out and then actually trigger based off of that as an action that customers, potential customers are taking, you will then have a very sustainable activation play. So again, how do you get started? Identify a potential trigger. You can your uh, where existing data flows for new business. You can also look your existing data flow for customer expansion, or you can look at a third-party tool for intent data because there are actually free tools out there that provide intent data. The one that I primarily am using as a free tier would be Propensity. So you can use Propensity for free intent data, the third-party intent data, and they also provide website tracking to denomize your website traffic. From there, build an activation play within your existing technology. If you do not have the ability to do everything, really the core of what you need, you need to figure out how to identify and target people. You then need to have the ability to send them outbound, your sales team outbound, and you have the ability to book a meeting. If you don't have those tools, propensity, again, free ability to build target account lists, third-party intent data, and website de-anonymization, you can start there. You can use Apollo for free to do contact level enrichment to then sequence those accounts. If you have contact enrichment somehow, some way, you can use a tool like smartly.ai. That's a very inexpensive month-to-month -month tool to start to sequence these people. And if you have nothing else, use a Calendly or a free HubSpot instance to do meeting booking on a calendar. You can do all of this for no additional dollars. And if you have none of the tech stack, you could do this for literally less than $200 a month. So 
once you've done that and you've built out that process, it may be a little bit manual to get some of these things exported and up, uh, imported based on the fact that you don't have an integrated tech stack. That's what you end up paying for is that scalability. But again, if you're getting started, you can do this pretty easily and effectively with a couple of free tools. And once you've done that, you can start booking meetings like clockwork. So this is a pre-recorded session. You cannot ask me questions at the moment unless you want to find me on LinkedIn. My name is Mason Cosby. You can connect with me and send me any questions you have, or you can email me directly at mason at scrappyavium.com. I very much appreciate the fact that you gave me a little bit of your time today and hope this was helpful. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scrappy ABM. If you enjoyed this week's episode, go ahead and give us a follow so that you don't miss a single episode. We drop every single Monday so that you can start your week off right. And if you're looking for additional great content just like this, go check out scrappyabm.com. We're building a library of frameworks, guides, templates, processes, and tools so you have everything that you need to build a low-budget, high-impact Scrappy program. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of Scrappy ABM. This has been your host, Mason Cosby, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.